Welcome to Terminal Value. So everything I do here at Terminal Value is based around one big question, and that is how do growth-oriented people transform their business and their life to achieve world-class levels of value in everything they do? That is the question, and I am here to bring you the answers. My name is Doug Utberg, and this is Terminal Value. I publish new podcast episodes five times per week. So make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any content. And also make sure to follow me on social. You can just look for the Doug Utberg handle. Please comment and let me know your thoughts. I'm looking forward to working together so that we can make your life amazing. We have Jody with us today from IntroHive.com, and IntroHive is a uh, business-to-business market intelligence company. But what we're going to be talking about is supercharging your sales in the new economy or supercharging your business sales in the new economy. The reason being that at the time of this recording, the economy is in the midst of what looks like it's going to be a rather difficult recession. The stock market is having, I think, its worst week since sometime in 2020 or possibly a long time before then. And one of the things Jody and I were talking about in the pre-show was how in a lot of times in difficult economic environments, it's usually more advantageous to sell into your existing client base. You know, However, there are a lot of companies that still need to try to go out and reach either reach new clients or to figure out how to reestablish contact because with the great resignation, people move and you could be starting over at square one. And this is actually where some business intelligence tools can come into play. Uh, so anyway, Jody, please introduce yourself and uh, let's just get the conversation rolling. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Great to meet you. Yeah. I'm Jody Glidden, uh, CEO of IntraHive. We've been, we were founded at the start of 2011. So okay, a little over a decade now. All right. Excellent. Well, okay. So kind of walk us through some of the ways that the people use some of the business intelligence tools to really be effective. I mean, because you know, for, for anybody who's been living under a rock or for the last 10 years, essentially what's happened is that between artificial intelligence and data scraping algorithms, essentially data aggregators know more or less everything there is to know about you. And the overwhelming majority of that is from your own traffic and interactions. So like, for example, one of the easiest ways to get contact information from people is that there are a lot of business intelligence providers where what they'll do is they'll just look at what's in the signature line on your emails and just scrape and aggregate that information. It's one of thousands and thousands of data points that aggregate to uh, create contact information for people. But anyway, don't let me monologue, Jody. Yeah, yeah, sure. So there's been a ton of change that's happened in the last few years. You look at starting with COVID, yeah. there was a temporary slowdown in the economy. And then like, in a lot of ways, one of the best runs in the economy that we had seen in a long, long time, we had a lot of work from home. We had uh, a lot of people in the great resignation or the great reshuffle where people were changing jobs at a much faster pace than ever before. Yeah, We saw people raising money in uh, amounts that were never seen before. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of companies going public. So just all kinds of unbelievable change that was happening. And now you have you know, inflation happening and interest rates rising and all this kind of stuff. So what's, yep. what's happening is people are trying to sell during this environment and they're kind of getting stuck. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they don't know how to keep moving their businesses forward. They're a little bit scared of the recession. They're losing customers because they thought they had great relationships at a certain customer and that person just walks out the door and jumps to another company and and all all those things like this. So we, what we started doing is really gathering up all of the signals that are happening. Mm -hmm. When somebody at, let's say your most important customer changes jobs, we'll send a couple of signals. One, 
you better jump in there and save that customer, form some new relationships. Yeah. We'll send another one like, hey, maybe this person has jumped to a great new co- company that could be, a, you know, a next customer for you. Uh-huh. And we're we're gathering information about, you know, when you jump into a meeting with a customer, maybe they've just done an M&A transaction that can cr- spark some conversations. So yeah. all of these kinds of things, it's just customers now, you've probably seen this kind of data, but customers now are doing about two thirds of the work doing online research and everything before they come and talk to the, to you, the salesperson, mm-hmm. but you're not typically doing any work before you talk to them. So really it's kind of like a matter of if they're going to be smart about you, you should be smart about them. And that's yeah. kind of what I think a lot of this comes down to. Yeah. Well, and it would also seem to me that really good BI could help you in targeting, you know, in other words, you know, in figuring out, you know, where are you most likely to get, you know, get people's mind share. I'm going a little old school here, but like, for example, one of the things that uh, Dan Kennedy always used to talk about with direct mail was saying that, you know, instead of trying to shave a penny or a quarter of a penny off of your mailing costs, figure out how to make your list smaller. So in other words, you know, right. figure out who is more likely to buy and less likely to buy and don't even mail it to the people who are less likely to buy in the first place is, yeah. you know, anything you can do to segment your list and make it as you know to where you're at your highest likely response rate is going to pay much higher dividends than trying to shave off quarters of a percentage point in cost yeah we just have we've turned selling so much into a science now yeah using ai to look at the deals that close most frequently um, things that you used to have to rely on let's say a a smart sales leader to, to spot these trends that maybe a certain vertical or a certain size of company or a certain you know, profile a buyer yeah. was the one that is most likely to close for you. Now the software can do that for you and they can do it much better than a person can do it. You know? Yeah, exactly. Millions of data points. Right. And so one of the things we found in the data years ago was that some of the salespeople that closed the biggest deals, it's not necessarily them. Sometimes it's the people that they bring with them. Uh-huh. To the meeting. And, you know, just there's all these kinds of things that you wouldn't think about. And then you find it in the data and you're like, oh, that makes sense. You know? Yeah. We just find incredible stuff all the time. And that's, I think, the value. I think that's where selling's headed, right? Is it's a lot of the thinking is being automated and um, it's turning into a science. Yeah, completely makes sense. Well, okay, so let's keep going and you know, thinking about, okay, so somebody who's listening to this conversation, you know, what can they really take out of this? Or, you know, what's the first thing they should do when they go out, out into the wild next in order yeah. to try to talk with a prospect or in order to try to retain a client or in order to try to upsell a client? Well, I think the first thing, people should do is, is kind of get their house in order first. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want to become a really effective selling organization, you have to start with getting really good intel about what you've done in the past. Yeah. So all of the interactions that you've had with customers, what went well, what didn't go well, and tracking everything going forward, because mm-hmm. the more you track, the more you're going to learn from that in the future. And you can, like you said, you know, focus on the things that work. So yeah. that's what we always talk to our clients about is just making sure you have a good source of all of your data. At the very least, you've got a CRM, (laughs) you know, hopefully you've got something that will automate your CRM to get all the data in and you're not relying on your people to put data in because they tend to be not very good at it. (laughs) Machines do better than people as was with most things. And then, you know, when you have a good foundation of data, then I think figure out what your strategic goals are. Are you mostly interested at the, you know, this year in finding new customers, improving your win rate, Mm -hmm growing or retaining the customers you have because focus drives results as well. Yeah. And based on, you know, whether you're trying to find, win or grow, there's a bunch of different things you could be doing. And uh, that's kind of the process that we walk people through is, you know, getting the data foundation in order Mm -hmm. so that you can learn from the past and learn from the future. 
and then helping people focus on the best tools and best data to help them, you know, focus on finding a winner growing. Got it. Well, that completely makes sense. I mean, and kind of, you know, augmenting on what you're saying a little bit, one of the things that I just really think about is that, you know, I think the more information that you can uncover about, you know, say, you know, different decision makers or whomever that might be in the chain that you're talking about, it gives you that opportunity to where you can maybe discover an acquaintance that you have in common or a place that you went to school together or something that you can use to take a conversation off of, you know, price, product, features, performance, you know, kind of the cut and dry type of comparisons that tend to be really uninteresting to have conversations about. Yeah. So in the, we would consider that in the win column, right? To improve your win rate on deals. And in the win column, one of the things we talk about often is multi-threading or executive alignment. So multi-threading is just the process of making sure that you have connectivity with all of the best relationships that you could be in that organization that you're selling to, and that that organization has as many and strong connections with us as possible, that really improves your win rate. Yeah. Another thing is executive alignment or executive influence. So it's it's like, you know, usually most medium and large companies, they have a highly connected executive team and VP level team, often, you know, dozens of these people that bring with them, you know, a network of massive connections of people. And they often don't take advantage of it because the sellers are at the, they're many levels down often. And yeah. They don't even know who these people know, and they don't even know how to leverage those connections in order to exert more influence on the deals that they have. Mm-hmm. But you know, I think that's another thing: just uncovering, uncovering that intel, giving to, to the sales team, letting them know, "Hey, here's an account you're working on, and this VP over in you know support has a great relationship over here that you should be leveraging." It just good things happen. Gotcha. That completely and totally makes sense. All right. So I think, you know, we've talked through a little bit of the, the importance of market intelligence. I think, you know, we've, we've covered getting to your network. What are some of the other things that are, you know, less obvious that we should be, that people should be thinking about? To me, one of the most important things this year is going to be focusing on retaining the customers you have. Cause, yeah. you know, we just see it among so many of our customers where they're just getting surprises and they're, they're losing a customer that was really important to them, was mm-hmm. providing them like a, a lot of constant business year over year over year. And then boom, they're gone because they weren't, we call it lonely client. You know, they weren't paying enough attention to that client. And then the person who they had the relationship with leaves the company or doesn't. And somebody is focusing on that customer more, you know, in this world where everybody's working from home, people do have a tendency to uh, kind of ignore the client once they've known them for a long time. And that's not good because some people are getting back out to the restaurants and you know, yeah. smoothing and, and all of these sorts of things. And when other people are building relationships that you aren't, it's going to, you know, you're going to start to lose clients. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so I think retaining the clients you have is going to be going to be really key this year with the recession going on. People are getting a lot of surprises. And then also, you know, focusing on growing and upselling in, at a greater pace, which, you know, there's a ton of things you can be doing on front as well. And, you know, these are the kinds of things that in the, these tough environments, provide growth when, you know, a lot of times people are not picking up the phone for, you know, people yeah. they don't know anymore. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think trying to get mindshare, I would say is probably the hardest that it's ever been. Cause like, for example, you know, it used to be, you could do a fairly simple outbound, outbound calling and that yeah. was pretty effective. Now I think it still can be effective. You just have to be extremely resilient and diligent at it. Whereas, you know, things say pop-up ads, Google ads or social, you know, used to get a lot more traction, but those mediums are all getting really crowded. And so yeah. kind of just based on your observation, what's the best way to get in retain mindshare? Cause it's, it feels like this is the noisiest environment that's ever existed. 
Yeah. So what happened is that a few years ago, a bunch of great tools came out to automate outbound. So automate outbound calling, automate outbound emails. And so I don't know if you've noticed this, but the spam levels have just went through the roof and on calls and on email. And so cold outreach became a lot less effective. Yeah. You know, so, so people are now using a little bit of data science in order to really hone in the headline, the subject line, the, the message bodies and things like that. But still, it is a bit of a race to the bottom because we know that there is no end to companies that are jumping on automating all yeah. of this stuff. In the end, people are just starting to just shut off anything inbound from people that they don't know. So I really think that the future is going to be focusing on networking and working through the connections, you know, building relationships and I think that's where it's it's going to lead to. It seems inevitable to me when you look at the response rates on yeah. email or the response rates on phone calls, there's been a dramatic difference in the last five years. Yeah, because I was just thinking, because email open rates, I think, I'm trying to remember exactly what they are. I think they're usually, they used to be close to 50%. I think now they're on average of probably under 20%. Some of them are probably getting down to around 10. Yeah, the open rates on emails, even if you can get them to open them, then you have you know problems with people actually, response rates mm -hmm. are, are usually below 2%. Yeah. Well, so, all right. So I think we've kind of defined the situation. So let's say that we've got somebody on board that, okay, you know what, kind of this holistic networking, this is the way to do it. We've picked up a whole bunch of market intelligence. But let's say, you know, I've defined a list of people that I want to go after. I've figured out some points of connection. What's that next step? What's the way that people should use that information to really go out and start being effective? One of the things that we find is really effective right now for, you know, finding new customers is mm -hmm. Uh, what we call white space planning. So it's looking, you know, let's say you're a company with a thousand people. Yeah. You probably have a lot of great relationships with among the people that you already employ that, you know, they work, these people work at, at great companies and yet you're not selling into them. They're in your target and, and everything. So yeah. that's one of the low hanging fruit that we often find mm -hmm. that people could be doing, you know, and then from there, I think just running a lot of events, we have a lot of success these days on uh, event-based marketing. So whether it's uh -huh. in-person events or on webinars, we do quite well in that. For a while, digital seemed to be like digital marketing seemed to be doing well and it's still doing okay. But I think there's just been so many other people racing to the same place. Yeah. That I feel like it's going to become more and more and more crowded, less and less and less effective. Yeah. You know, although it feels like there's eventually going to be some kind of mean reversion because, right, you know, like if there's a big crowd of people going into digital, yeah. then eventually a number of them are going to get discouraged because either the response rates or rates of return or whatever aren't as high as they previously were, or you have to be really, really good in order to get those higher response rates. And so you yeah. figure you're going to have some people who are going to drop off and then eventually it'll normalize. But again, I've thought that on a number of different occasions about a whole bunch of different markets. And <laughs> I'm hoping my stocks do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, my portfolio. Generally speaking, I have a really bad habit of calling market tops about five years too early. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think we all did that, man. I remember saying, you know, don't you guys realize that the average bull market only lasts about five to seven years? And then we went like 12 or something. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, well, I mean, and, you know, because of course, you know, me being the amateur economist, what I'll do is, you know, I'll look at debt expansion, because like you were talking about the economy bounce back after March yeah. of 2020. It's like people yeah. say, oh, the economy did so great. I'm like, okay, look at the amount of debt expansion. You know, yeah. What happened is there was just a whole bunch of new debt created. Yeah. And so, but yeah, like I look at the debt expansion and it just makes me, <laughs> yeah. you know, but then it just keeps right on going. I mean, doesn't keep going forever, but I think that's one yeah, of the things yeah. is that, uh, you know, that trends can continue for quite a while. Yeah, definitely. I, I think it's going to be interesting to see how many people, I think because this followed 2008, 
I'm hoping that a lot of the debt was at locked interest rates that we don't yeah, end up right? finding that people are defaulting on on loans and stuff like that because that could the debt could definitely become a problem. Yeah, well, I well, do think good, that yeah. people are getting a lot of salary inflation at the uh-huh. same time, so that can help. It's companies helps people pay back their debt. Yeah, well, yeah, I was going to say because yeah, kind of quick, quick tangent. The way that I think this whole thing is going to manifest with the increasing interest rate is that I think there most recent report I saw from the Federal Reserve was that I think about one in five publicly traded companies, what they call a zombie company, which is yeah. where their debt service costs is roughly equivalent to their earnings or their pre-tax earnings. So they essentially operate at break-even, but they have to put all their operating income into paying debt. Well, what happens is when they have to roll over their debt because of an rising interest rate environment, a lot of them can get pushed into debt spirals. So what I would be concerned with is not so much consumer debt consumers being over leveraged, I mean, they are, but I think there's an increased capacity to bear it. I think it's more that you're going to have some companies that are going to be moving toward default. And if you start getting too many of those that go into default, now your risk spreads are going to start getting higher. And then your rates for higher risk refinancing, which any company is going to be a higher risk refinance than treasuries. Individuals will be an even higher risk than that. If you're legitimately high risk, it'll be an even higher risk spread. I tend to be much better at telling stories than predicting how things will actually happen. (laughs) Right. I know in the software industry, you know, we had an unprecedented level of access to debt in the last five, seven years. You know, I've been doing tech startups for almost 30 years now. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we, it was just unheard of for us to get access to debt. Then it started, it got to the point where almost every second day I'd be getting a call where somebody wanted to loan us money. And um, so thankfully we're debt-free business, but it would be a pretty scary situation if you had you know, a massive line of credit that has an expiry date, which most of these had three-year expiries. And then you have to like figure out how you're going to refinance it and still pay the debt. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So I'm going to pull us off our tangent and back on track. So, okay. So we've been talking about effectively using market intelligence to both weather the difficult economy and also to still succeed, you know, because the thing that a lot of people, I think is a lot of people don't always see kind of straight off is that Typically during down economies, that's usually when when breakout companies emerge. Okay. That's usually when big, big breakouts emerge, you know, because what ends up happening is, you know, the disruption creates a situation where a truly unique offering or a truly exceptional execution will be disproportionately rewarded because you have that disruption in the competitive environment. That's right. Yeah. I'm sure that um, we're all going to lose a lot of competitors through this recession, depending on how long it lasts. But, you know, that can, and then you'll have a lot of consolidation too, right? Because a lot of people can buy up the competitors that are not faring quite as well. And and that just allows you to be a little bit more efficient because yeah. you know, when you're constantly under price pressure and, and everything you can be operating at a loss, you know, just to try to get market share. Sure. It's not not healthy in the long run. I was going to say that type of strategy tends to run out of legs very quickly when the venture capital money <laughs> dries yeah. up. Yeah. Um, you know, because I don't know, just the one that just boggles my mind is like, you know, there's all these like app companies that go public. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. okay, you know, you have like $20 million a year of revenue <laughs> from an app yeah. going public for that. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we saw a lot of companies go public and the last couple of years, facts and things like that, but they didn't fare very well. Most of them didn't fare yeah. very well in the long run. We've had a couple of horror stories where people had six month lockups on their stock. And then by the time the expiry was done, they pretty much didn't have anything left. Yeah. So I don't think uh-huh. public is, 
is uh, public's good when markets are good and it's not so good when markets are bad, you know? Exactly. I mean, because I guess this is the other thing that people don't think about when you're going public is that once you have taken shareholder capital, there are enough fiduciary duties that the company management owes to those shareholders that supersede all of their other duties because you've taken their money. You know, you, you have to make sure that you do appropriate risk disclosures, that you're doing reporting, that all this other stuff. And yeah. I think it's easy to not quite get how much work all that is. Yeah. My last company, we were public and it was definitely a bit of a drag on things and you're kind of yeah. spending part of your time focused on your customers and your employees. But then you also have, you know, a disproportionate amount of time focused on your investors and investor communication and sort of all, mm -hmm. you know, all that kind of stuff that goes along with that. Because if you don't, your stock gets punished. So yeah. it's, it's kind of nice to be in the environment that we're in here at Interhive, where we can just focus on the business and focus on the customers and, and focus on our yeah. employees, not really have to worry about all of that, mm -hmm. you know, anymore at the moment. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. Well, uh, Jody, you know, before we wrap up, is there anything that I should have asked you, but I didn't, you know, are there any questions that I left on the table? I think I would just say that if you're a company that is say 500 people or greater mm -hmm. and you're, you know, maybe think to yourself, why did you buy a CRM in the first place? It was probably so that you could make sure your salespeople were smarter. And um, so that's really what customer intelligence is all about is it's giving you, it's automating all of the data in mm -hmm. and it's automating all the intelligence out. So it's sort of the next generation, right? It's what we yeah. all kind of bought CRM for to begin with. It's just the much better and easier version of it to some degree. We do play well with CRM, but I think it is, I think where the, where the whole industry is going, everything's getting automated. And I think it's going to be really interesting yeah. next few years. Yeah. Just, yeah. 30 second tangent. What kind of makes me wonder is that, you know, I'm, I'm kind of curious whether like, you know, as everything gets AI automated and the AIs all automate to the same things and you have a kind of a mass convergence to the same optimization algorithms. I wonder if that's going to kind of, I'm almost wondering if you're going to get like, you know, an accelerated obsolescence cycle. Yeah. Um, we, you know, what a lot of people think is going to happen is like automation of buying and automation of selling. So, uh -huh. you know, this is probably many years after I'm retired, but, you know, bots buying and selling from bots, right? It's kind of, it's kind of crazy to think about, but that's the optimal, right? It's just like making sure that you're getting exactly the right thing for your business. Mm -hmm. And really the reason we all buy stuff in our businesses is because it makes our businesses better. Yeah. Otherwise we shouldn't buy it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, hey, Jody, really appreciate your time today. Yeah. Yeah. Great to meet you. And yeah, and the website again, introhive.com. That's I-N-T-R-O-H-I-V-E.com. So Jody, what's the best place for people to connect with you on social? Are you, uh, where are yeah, you most Twitter. active? Yeah, Twitter. Twitter. Excellent. So just at Jody Glidden, the J-O-D-Y-G-L-I-D-D-E-N. Excellent. Well, Jody, really appreciate your time. Yeah, you too. Thank you. All right. Thanks. Hey, thanks for watching to the end of the video. There's just a couple of things that I need from you right now. Number one is I need you to subscribe. If you're not already a subscriber to the channel, please hit the subscribe button and turn notifications on. That way you will know every time I publish new content. Number two, comment, share your thoughts. I want to know what you did and didn't like. What should I make next? And number three, share this with your friends. Go on to Facebook or Instagram or LinkedIn, wherever you, uh, you hang out socially, and then post a link to this video and let people know what you liked about it and make sure to tag me. And then what I would also like to do is I would like to offer you the most incredible 
free gift ever. And this is related to my business where I help other businesses reduce their contract related costs. If you are a decision maker in a business, then I want to talk with you to see about how we can address your contract costs and drive savings. If you know somebody who is a business decision maker, then I would like you to help me get in contact with them. And in exchange, I am going to give you a absolutely free vacation at one of 30 places across the United States with no obligation and no timeshare pitch. Uh, the value of this, again, depending on how much savings we achieve, can literally be between thousands and millions. So anyway, just hit the button below for the most incredible free gift ever. Make sure to subscribe, share, and comment, and watch the next video because I'll be at you with more.